0: Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Since the beginning of time, civilizations all over the world have found new and innovative ways of telling time. The sundial, which calculated the time of day for ancient Egyptians, using the sun's position in the sky, is one of the oldest techniques we know of. The Saxons cut candles into sections, with each segment meant to burn for just one hour. As time advanced, so too did the methods by which people measure it. It was in the late 1300s when the first mechanical clock chimed for the world. Although the device has been lost to history, we can get a good idea about how it might have functioned thanks to the Salisbury Cathedral in Italy, which boasts the oldest working clock in the world. As with most new inventions, early clocks tended to have flaws. They were notoriously inaccurate and complicated due to their use of weights, which made them too large for the average house. Churches were the primary locations for most mechanical clocks until the coiled spring was invented in the mid-15th century, allowing clockmakers to shrink them down to a more manageable and accurate size. Later on, new materials and techniques were added. Pendulums, hairsprings, quartz, and magnets all found their way into these machines, bringing their costs down and allowing them to live in our homes and even on our wrists. Over the centuries, They've transformed from enormous structures to mass-produced commodities. And that's the funny thing about the common clock. We don't really think about it anymore. We expect it to be there, on the wall or on our wrist, or now on our cell phones. We've never had a reason to ask the biggest question of all. Why can't we tell time? Our bodies are capable of incredible things, like creating life and healing our own wounds but counting the seconds to the same degree as a $10 watch is impossible. Some extraordinary people are capable of hearing a tone and telling you exactly what musical note it is. Others have photographic memories so vast they're able to recall 10-year-old conversations word for word as though they were reciting lines from a play. But an accurate internal clock has eluded our evolution for millennia. At least until 1825, when J.D. Chevalier demonstrated his unique talent for telling time. He developed it as a child when he began counting the intervals between bell chimes and pendulum vibrations of the clocks around him. He once gathered a crowd on a steamboat on Lake Geneva and told them he could calculate any number of minutes or seconds that they called out without fail. When the time had passed, he would announce it with startling accuracy, while a spectator with a watch verified his claim. He was never wrong. What's more amazing is that he did this while carrying on conversations with members of the crowd. His internal clock was wound so tightly nothing could throw it off. He once said of his gift, I have acquired by imitation, labor, and patience a movement which neither thoughts nor labor nor anything can stop. Not much else is known about Chevalier. He'd had his 15 minutes of fame, which I'm sure he counted down to the second, and wasn't heard from again. Telling time better than a wristwatch is a fun party trick, but not something to earn a living on. Though I do wonder why no one else has come forward with a similar ability. Perhaps our reliance on technology has made such a talent unnecessary. Maybe our memories will go next as we rely on the internet to do all of our remembering for us. Or maybe J.D. Chevalier was just born at the right time, in the right place, like he'd been destined to become the perfect human clock. After all, he was Swiss. <laughs> 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Most people already know of James Joyce, the Irish author of some of the most beloved books of all time. Ulysses, Dubliners, and A Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, have found their way to numerous best-of lists as well as high school curriculums all over the world. It's that last title, a portrait of the artist as a young man, that's particularly special because of one character, Cranley. Cranley is described in the book as the main character's best friend at university and someone content with the status quo. He is not called to greatness the way his friend is, which is odd because the man the character was based on did some pretty great things in his own life. His name was John F. Byrne, or J.F., as he was known, and he attended college with James Joyce. They became good friends over the years, so it seemed fitting for Joyce to write him into one of his books. But why he made Byrne such a pushover, we'll never know. You see, J.F. Byrne was, among other things, an inventor In 1918, he devised a secret code system using nothing more than a cigar box and a few bits and bobs from around the house. He called his invention the KO Cipher, which sounds a bit like a weapon a supervillain might use against Superman, but it's really more benign than that. Well, unless you're sneaking messages across enemy lines and you don't want the opposition to know what you've written. The KO Cipher consisted of two discs, side by side, each disc rotating on a spindle. A mixed-up version of the alphabet was written along the outer edge of each disk, and as you turn it, the other would move in the opposite direction, similar to the gears on a clock. As each letter was enciphered, the alphabet shifted again, making the encoded message practically impossible to decipher without the algorithm. Now, you would think such a method for enciphering messages would earn top dollar from anyone wanting the utmost security for their classified communiques. Byrne took his cigar box to the top cryptoanalysts of the U.S. Army Signal Corps, the U.S. State Department, the Navy, and even AT&T. But no one wanted anything to do with the cipher. But Byrne was resourceful, as he'd clearly demonstrated, and he decided to put his little box to the test. He compiled a book of popular texts that he had enciphered, and then challenged readers to crack the codes. In his 1953 autobiography, he enciphered a message using the KO cipher and offered $5,000 to anyone able to break it. Not a single person was able to decode the booklet or the message. He even mailed copies to the American Cryptogram Association and the New York Cipher Society, groups whose members spent their lives encoding and decoding secret messages using all sorts of tricky methods. But Burns' KO cipher proved too difficult for anyone brave enough to face it. And then, in April of 1960, Byrne passed away, taking his algorithm with him to the grave. No one had come close to solving the K. O. ciphers' mysteries in the decades following Byrne's death. The passage within his autobiography was still enciphered, as was the small booklet he published of known texts. It seems his cigar box and the secrets inside it were lost forever, and no one knew how any of it worked. Well, almost no one. J.F. Byrne, perhaps knowing what he'd created was too much for anyone to figure out on their own, passed his knowledge down to his son, John, before his death. In 2010, almost 100 years since the device's inception, John donated his father's work to the National Cryptographic Museum in Fort Meade, Maryland. In doing so, he proved two things. First. Unlike the James Joyce character based on him, J.F. Byrne had never been one to uphold the status quo. And second, truth is definitely stranger than fiction. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com.